Uh, hey, before we get started, your keys are on the floor. Just, just yeah. Quiet. Okay, hang on. I'm, I'm gonna put my phone next to it so I don't forget them. Uh, you're, you're gonna forget your phone and your keys. Well, Why don't you sit on the floor for this episode <laughs> so you just don't, so you don't forget anything, Scott? I'm Ace Callwood, and I'm Scott Wayne. This is Envoy Recorded Radio, coming live from the floor. <laughs> All right, we've got a lot to get through. So first of all... This is a perilous episode, and, and perilous because it is perilous. He's not oh. here. You see what I did there? Where is he? Uh, New Jersey, New York. I don't know. He posted some swaggy photo of himself outside of a vegan restaurant in New York City. He's filming. He's fil- Yeah, he's filming in the, the Northeast. So we're doing this by ourselves because he's filming in New York, and we're in a studio in Richmond. Yeah. God, our people don't know that place. <laughs> Perry, come back. All right. Okay. All right. Um, you want to talk about foreign phrases? I do. I, I want to talk about, I do want to talk about foreign phrases, um, but specifically foreign phrases worth learning. So I've, we had a conversation about tipping when Elizabeth Bylan was yeah. on. I, I don't know how to tip and what to tip in different countries. But more importantly, I started a note of phrases worth learning in different languages just a standard list of things absolutely nothing can go wrong here no i think i think it'll be great i think i'm not going to read the whole thing but it starts with a beer please the second one is another beer please the third is just please the fourth is thank you there is one on here i think number 10 is please call the american embassy and that combines number three which is please and then you add how to say Call the American Embassy in any language. Can I can I make a suggestion? Yeah, for a word. Yeah, 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 please. Sorry. Uh, that's number six. You but should, it's I'm sorry, officer. It was an accident. You should that's, nudge that to number one. No, nah. that's right. No, I'm gonna keep a beer and another beer at one and two. No, but but there, like, okay. So this is my list. But there is probably a practical list of. If we compiled the list, we could copy it into Google Translate and then go to another yeah. country and have like just a list of phrases on hand. And I would love for our multitude of listeners, um, I don't know what we're going to give away, but we're going to give away something for the best phrase that you should learn before you go to another country in their native language. Do you know what I love about this is is your sh- we have conversations that illustrate our age difference a little bit, which is <laughs> your new innovation that you think you've created is... The Lonely Planet Guide. <laughs> it's the first three pages. I don't even know what that is. So, <laughs> yep, it doesn't okay. exist. Um, can I also suggest, though, if we give this to the rogues, we should mm-hmm. explain who the rogues are. So yeah. so Rogue Media is our media company, and we refer to the team that staff it, one of whom is Perry, who is not here <laughs> as rogues. He's gone rogue. Um, has, if we give has. this to the rogue, just change, when we you do the translation, mm-hmm. American Embassy to Italian Embassy, <laughs> and just let them go. They get into trouble, <clears throat> and people have called the Italian embassy. So they're in Guatemala. Oh, that's not they fair. They get in trouble, and they call the Italian embassy. Right. I, to be clear, how much does this cost is on the list, too, uh, which I ask pretty often when I'm traveling. <clears throat> so, yeah, there's, there's our list. If you have any additions, let us know, and we might, A, add them to the list, and B, send you some swag. Okay, I'm going to dive into the heavy stuff. We're starting a new section called okay. The Murder of Nuance and the Manslaughter of Context because yeah. we have had actually a lot of feedback that one of the things we get to do on radio is to get into the nuance of things rather than just the headlines. And can I just say at this point, I'm blown away at the seniority and caliber of people who are listening to this. Not the volume of listeners, not the total number of listeners. I don't really care about that. But 
So what I think I'll do on the newsletter this week is put a link to the podcasts that these people should be listening to because mm. it worries it's me slightly that one. they are listening. Yeah, okay. So it's going to be like the Financial Times and Wall Street Journal and maybe The Economist and things. But anyway, for those that you know who you are, you should not be listening to this. Go read here? a policy paper or something. I like it. Anyway, so one of the things that people have said is that we get to talk through the nuance. So we're going to start this section called The Murder of Nuance and the Manslaughter of Context, which may be a book that I'm working on and an excuse to generate content for that. Um, let's talk about two things. Uh, we're going to talk about Ozempic and transgender. So transgender stuff. Okay. okay. So why does this have to be a binary issue is my observation. And it's inspired a little bit around the Bud Light thing. So Bud Light had a transgender spokesperson and apparently this has upset a lot of people mm -hmm. because God forbid we have a transgender spokesperson. Um, and I kind of, what we're not doing in this is that we're sort of treating transgender rights as a very binary thing on both ends of the perspective. Is anything binary? Is anything binary? Is anything. Well, transgenderism isn't binary. That's the nature of it. That's, that's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we, oh, oh. I'm, I'm asking yeah. if, if, if there is any issue that we debate, dig into, and, and I, I think... To the point of this segment, <laughs> we make so many things binaries that can't possibly be. There is too much nuance to have to dig through, and we don't want to spend the time to do it. So I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing well, with you. Well, yeah, I, I think there are some things you could say, okay, do you believe that all, all American adults have the right to vote, yes or no? Right? There are some sure. core principles like that, but the bulk of things. And, and so and maybe transgender is a good, a good illustration of this. There seems to me to be a difference between, let's say, the debate over transgender athletes in sports. Mm -hmm. That um, there, is, there is truly nuance there. There are aspects of this. We've talked about J.K. Rowling's perspective around this. You and I disagree somewhat on this, about making sure we're defending women's experiences through their lives as distinct from potentially the, the very different experience of, of transgender adults. But I also think, back to your, is there a binary thing? I've got it. If we could just talk a little bit more openly about sexuality, mm. then this would become much blurrier. And I have a question for you. Is yeah. that, so people talk to us a lot. Sure. We, we have a gift for um, building trust fairly quickly. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think we have a gift for keeping things private. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> so, but people share with me a lot of their personal lives or preferences. Yeah. And it is not what one thinks it would be, given that particular demographic. <laughs> and I was reminded of this. There's a history podcast I love to listen to. And the episode I was listening to, I don't listen to it in the order it's released. I just kind of dive in. It was about Lawrence of Arabia. Huh. So Lawrence of Arabia, sort of the World War One. He, he, he is famous for leading the revolt of the Arabs against um, the Turks, the Ottoman Empire. Um, and he's sort of this, this hero. Now, there's a big debate about what role he actually played. Sure. But... <laughs> There's a, a large degree of amongst historians of agreement that he was largely asexual, but loved to be beaten, loved to be whipped. That mm. was his thing. And when you read it, it's very matter of fact. I'm like, this is great. Why are we just more matter of fact about everything? Lawrence of Arabia. Actually, the more controversial <laughs> fact was he was only five foot two, and he was played by actors who were like six three. Yeah, Peter, <laughs> so, Peter, Peter O'Toole. Peter, Peter O'Toole. There yeah. we go. Yeah, he won Oscars and all kinds of things for the movie. In the not 1960s. Arabian by any means. So he's only five two. It's this little fella mm -hmm. wandering around the desert, a little bit lost. Um, but his that was his thing. Yeah, but he was he was also. I'm just stealing all the material from this podcast now. I'll, I'll do a plug for the book that it was based upon. 
um, he chose, interesting, after he, after he became famous, as we think about social media era, he changed his name and rejoined the army. He was, he was a colonel. He rejoined the army as a private under a false name because hmm. he just wanted to hide. But by that time, was like best friends with Winston Churchill and stuff. Now, Churchill wasn't quite prime minister at this point um, and like was friends with the editor of the Times, but lived this little false existence yeah. as a private in the army. And so he would, yeah. Anyway, his thing was, was being flogged. And if more of us just were just open about that spectrum of things, the, these things that kind of challenge normal, transgenderism would be one thing, as is sort of the, the, the thing of the day. Nobody would give a shit. Yeah. How do you do more nobody gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's probably an episode in and of itself. Maybe. But yeah, the, yes. Yeah. All right. Link to this. So back to the nuance thing. Um, Azempic, this uh, mm-hmm. weight-restricting, appetite-restricting drug. So it yeah, restricts the appetite so you simply don't that's want just, to eat. It feels like it's been a thing over the last oh, couple everywhere. months maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all, all the uh, all the cool cities, everybody's... Well, you can't get hold of it if you have type 2 diabetes because um, tech bros are taking it. Um, but what? Um, how do you feel about this? So it's a drug that's designed so it, it would limit appetite, or it limits appetite to essentially lose weight because you're just not hungry. And people who... It's designed to prevent or assist with type 2 diabetes diabetes mm-hmm. it seems to be highly effective mm-hmm. but then people who are generally just wanting to lose weight are taking it um as it's characterized to lose the last couple of pounds for that perfect body well of course perfect we know is is not a healthy version right what is perceived to be perfect yeah um i think if you want to suppress weight and are willing to i don't know do sketchy shit to do it start smoking like pick up cigarettes <laughs> that's <laughs> That's how I would handle it if I were. I mean, like, come on. Brought to you by natural spirit. <laughs> <laughs> we can't have our like unpaid sponsor be a tobacco company. <laughs> I should have introduced myself as a marble man to start this this episode. No, I mean, but like to highlight some of the absurdity yeah, yeah, yeah. of like, yeah. okay, I'm going to accomplish one singular thing, which is appetite suppression in order to lose weight. And to be clear, everybody has been trying this for all of humanity. So Zempic is just the new cigarettes. It's the new thing that says, and look, I'm cocaine has been used the same way. I mean, like, let's go down the list of things that have been used to suppress appetite yeah. and the byproducts or, or the side effects of those things are not that great. But add in a layer here, which is we are depriving folks who actually need this drug of the drug for our personal gain, which is often rooted in vanity. And, you know, then it sounds ridiculous. Is that going to stop folks from doing it? No. But that, that's how I feel about it. It, it is... Um, it's selfish, it's selfish and a little absurd. A lot absurd is actually how I feel about it. But then the pressure that is on people to look a certain way, particularly, particularly women, mm-hmm. and yeah, there's all kinds of movements to say that shouldn't be the case. But I think particularly, um, uh, yeah, there's a well. Okay, so let's just stay here for a little bit. Do you mind if we swim in this pool of controversy for a while? Let's swim. Let's swim. So it's pretty clear 
for anybody that looks at you or I, that we are not taking appetite suppressant <laughs> drugs. Bring me so we're this. not biased in favor of this. That said, do you think people would hire you to speak on stage, which you do a lot, yeah. and you get we get paid well for you speaking on stage. Yes. Do you think that event planners would do that if you were significantly overweight? Um, pr candidly, probably less so. Yeah, I think that too. Yeah, I can look. I am overweight. I carry it incredibly well. <laughs> it's like it's a function of height. And let's just helps. give everybody this visual. Imagine you were the same weight, but f my height. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would people would people hire you? I don't yeah, think they would. I, look, I don't it, think they would. There are some. There are really harsh realities. There we have a lot of conversations around inclusion and. Uh, not body shaming and making sure people feel that whoever they are and however they present at any given time is valid and real. And I agree with that. There is also the very real phenomenon of the way that we look and the way that we present either attracts people to us or doesn't. And I mean that uh, beyond uh, romantic or sexual yeah. attraction. It's yeah, yeah. the the work that we do and the way that we present is is – a lot of our opportunities are predicated on that, and that's that's real. But I I think right now we're we're the majority of buying power shifting into that millennial demographic, and we're the. I, I saw a meme today that I kind of chuckled at because I was like, oh yeah, that's right. It said if you're a millennial who grew up with uh, Tyra Banks uh, calling uh, size six women plus sized, you might be entitled to compensation. Right, like the the zeitgeist has had us here for a long time, and I'm sure there were versions of that. You see, the Mad Men era yeah. of the housewife has to have X size. Uh, even watching uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel right now, and she measures her legs and her calves and her waist mm -hmm. every day. Right, like we have seen that, particularly about women's bodies, for so long. So on one hand, I'm not surprised we continue to. Um, live in the battle zone that is women's bodies and their autonomy and rights to them because we've been dictating quite a bit, either socially or legally, um, around how women's bodies are perceived. But beyond that, there's just a psychological damage and trauma that is happening around we have to be smaller to be valid, and I think that's a problem as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm not surprised that we're seeing people taking diabetes drugs to keep weight off. Um, it's... It's unfortunate, and I think there's a societal shift. If that we could if we carry that through, so if we say that, you know, you get paid significant sums of money to be on stage performing, sure. and yeah. we both agree that if you're a different shape, mm -hmm. that would be less so. Mm -hmm. I think we can probably magnify that perspective around women by what tenfold would not be not say a thousand percent, right, but no, right, actually, right. Yeah. and that would apply to being in the office or the boardroom yep. as much as being on stage. Then you're then saying, okay you potentially should not take this because you're you're taking it away from people who are obese and would, would clinically, medically benefit from taking it. At the same time, you might actually be re removing thousands of dollars, pounds, euros from your family income. But no, I mean, I, it's, it, it, it hits bottom line. I'll, show, I'll share the, um, the uh, most unhinged might be the word yeah. I've ever been facilitating a session. I was doing a, a session on allyship down 
down further down the stretch of 95. It was a blue collar facility. I was doing uh, some some facilitation and running a, a workshop, and um, I was talking about the uh, gender pay gap, mm-hmm. and uh, I was using one of those blind studies yeah. or one of the the head to head resume. All you do is change uh, the name, not the qualifications. And I was talking about how uh, the traditionally female name was rated like a 3.5 out of 5, whereas the male name resume, keeping in mind all of the qualifications on the resume the same, the male was rated like a a 4.5 out of 5. And so you got a whole point there. The starting salary offer from the HR leaders who uh, looked at these two resumes was something like 30% more for the man than the woman. And one of the comments in the back of the room, a guy kind of raised his hand and he goes, he goes, hey, if, if she were attractive and went and met the hiring manager in person, she'd have gotten the job. And I kind of like the record scratched during a session. And I look for the work we do in the corners mm-hmm. and the gravity. Like we play a straight bat and a poker face. And like I didn't there. And I was like, okay, let's talk about this one. Uh, let's talk about your sister or your mom or any woman you have in your life. And that idea that in order for her to be perceived as equal she has to be attractive and let's let's play that out over the course of her career if this is her starting salary starting offer at 30 percent less than the man as she works up through the ranks think about the hundreds of thousands of dollars that compound over the course of the career in lost wages purely because she wasn't attractive enough to get the offer that you think she ought have that's a house, that's several kids' college education, like the actual practical economic realities of that bias that you're holding right now is the problem, and it's why I'm having this session. And like, how are we going to work through that if you think that's the funny comment to make in a session? Like, I'm not sure what to do here. Was it a funny comment, or was it his real opinion? Is it one, no, it was one, a nudge, nudge, wink, but isn't, wink. But right? isn't there something true in that, though? Yeah. That there's, there's the micro and macro difference. So on a micro basis... If I'm putting myself in the place of women that I know and I'm friends with and close to who are in business, then if the dynamics are that you, that the evidence suggests that if you are of a particular look, that you will gain those benefits because of the biases are there, mm-hmm. then it is in your, it, you might choose to take a Zempic because that is a shortcut route to fitting in that type that is going to have the least friction to you getting to the top on the other hand on a macro basis for you to do what is supportive of of all women or all people in that situation Mm -hmm. is to not take it and exemplify healthy weight diverse living diverse bodies all of those things Mm -hmm. that's a tense contradiction because you to go through the maths that you were just going through that that's like donating that's like tithing 30 percent of your economic wealth to to an initiative yeah that's Look, and, and I think particularly, I would imagine, and this is me not having kids, but I would imagine this pops up as you think about the things that our children might be doing. I know you and I have had this conversation around braces, right? Like, like what that means for how somebody is growing up and if that means they're perceived as more or less attractive and where that fits. And, you know, I've had the same conversation with friends about, you know, how their kids go get their hair done or what they wear, so on and so forth. And are we, is it our responsibility as we think about the implications of our children maybe having more or less economic upside based on how they're perceived? Like, how do we start crafting that? And I think we're forced into that decision in a very interesting way. 
that's yeah that's how I feel about it so we finished this on bad British teeth is where you went to I no Mm-mm. also braces in British English mean those things that hold your pants up what <laughs> those you are suspenders it? we call them suspenders oh, we, oh suspenders in British English is a whole different thing I don't want to know it. hey I uh, jumped to Australia I'm getting a text from an Australian friend of ours, of ours who is um, a mutual friend she uh, didn't text me she's literally said like, what are you working on right now I'm listening to too much of your voices on Envoy Radio and like hey we're recording Envoy Radio right now that's what we're doing as you text me abuse for not being around there we okay go. uh all right, last one, last one, because it's, it's relevant this week. Um, Pity City, Pity, I can't say it. Pity City. Oh, this. Um, so the CEO of Miller Knoll, yep. and they own Herman Miller, those very expensive designer chairs and furniture, and design within reach. Yep. So describe this. She was on a Zoom call. Yeah, she was on a Zoom call. We're still in the nuance and context. Yeah, on a Zoom call, talking to uh, employees about their lack of bonuses for the yeah. year and that they were asking about bonuses and when and how they were going to happen. And she Andy said, Owen is her name. She's correct. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Yep. Um, so there's this snippet recorded um, somewhere, maybe knowingly, maybe not, but has made its rounds on the internet. And she's, she's basically saying, instead of asking about your bonuses, how about you focus on our top or bottom line? There was a number that she threw out um, in the 20s of millions and she's like how about we focus on this number as well and then she mentions a mentor of hers um who once told her uh you can visit pity city but you can't live there is the quote that she puts out via the zoom call and as one can imagine she has been castigated for for that commentary uh, compared to Marie Antoinette and let them eat cake, and it's it's been messy. Um, and so, of course, her PR team has responded with, "Well, this was taken out of context." Uh, but it, I'd imagine there's enough context for one to have an opinion, and <laughs> my opinion here might get me in trouble. Okay, give us your opinion because I yeah. Uh, my my opinion is um, no ace call with the business owner. Just so, society is rife with incompetence, and I think often it is the least competent folks who don't understand that bonuses are incentives for uh, exceeding above and beyond. Um, I have a, a quote that mom drilled in over the years uh, nobody cares about the storms you encountered did you bring in the ship and so things have happened and maybe we didn't hit our marks and if our bonuses were predicated on hitting marks and we didn't hit them we don't get the bonus that's pretty straightforward and if the ceo did get the bonus which is dictated by a board it probably means they hit their mark or got close to it. And I'm not debating that capitalism in its truest form is sometimes often even detrimental to the little guy. What I am saying is if we have structures and milestones and metrics by which we're being compensated and we don't get that compensation, it's probably because we didn't hit the mark and maybe we need to focus on that. I uh, Maybe they should eat cake. I don't know. I'm yeah, and I'm th- back to this. The context that you wrap around it is so. Her phraseology is interesting. Um, if you're not on track for bonus, interesting. But how this is being reported is so. LinkedIn News. This is, and they're pulling from CNN. Median employee salary is 
$44,810. Owen was paid nearly $5 million in 2022. Well, that piece of information isn't relevant at all because they're talking about the sales goals for 2023. What matters is what she's paid in 2023 relative to goals and to your point, the contract. Mm -hmm. But just layering that in there sort of feeds into this. One other thing. I wonder, she's a woman CEO of a design company. Mm -hmm. Um, if you'd have said those words, or if I'd have said those words, actually, let's try the words. What did she say? She said, you need to leave Pity City. Uh, you can visit Pity City, but you can't live there. Okay, so just just say that. Say it in your, um, <laughs> in your Barry Manilow voice. <laughs> Scott, you can visit Pity City. Your brother, you can't live there. Yeah. The, I, yeah. Yeah. Right now, right now mm-hmm. there, are, there are people just playing that on loop. <laughs> That is uncomfortable for, the, for all for parties the, for involved. The thrill. But no, but it, it, it is interesting, isn't it? Like if you say, "Hey, everybody, look, bonuses are bonuses. You can visit Pity City for a while, but you can't live there." I I feel I don't know. Eh, this is not. I'm not sure that would make news. It's. Uh, but I'm. I as I'm even looking at top stories and the headlines here about this, you've got these just awful pictures of this woman. It's uh, Miller Knoll CEO scolds workers. Um, CEO who took home nearly $5 million last year tells employees hoping for a bonus, leave Pity City. Um, CEO warns against living in Pity City. Viral outrage. Like, we have just blown this thing. We've blown it up. And I think if we are going to argue whether it's in or uh, out of proportion, we have to have some more context. We have to have some more nuance to understand what the bonus structure was what the incentives that were aligned were, if they missed their mark, if there was an act of God that, that necessitated the missing of the mark, so on and so on. And, and yet we have distilled this to a headline to get clicks to say, this woman who makes a lot of money is awful. And I would say, I don't know, did we execute as expected? And if so, we'd be compensated. Like, that's how the money works. <laughs> <laughs> It's. I was gonna say I. I. I'd never say this on. Uh, I wouldn't have said it if I were you. But I'm realizing this could go viral as easy as, <laughs> as hers could. I, look, I agree with her. I agree with her. It is interesting. I mean, we pay bonuses to our team, and, yeah. and if we come in ten percent under from the top bonus, you mean like if we don't hit the yeah, mark? If we, that, if we, if we don't yeah. hit the mark, will, will you suggest that we pay it out anyway? No. 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 Yeah. What? Why if, would I? And if and if if I complain about that. You're going to tell me to stop whining. I would say, what was the mark and did we hit it? That's a very easy question. I I said there are no binaries. There are binaries. (laughs) Did we hit the mark by which we were going to pay bonuses? If no, then nobody gets a bonus, myself included, unless my structure for a bonus was different. different. Because, and this is the last thing I'll say, is... As I don't we are, think it is, but well, take a <laughs> As we are talking about um, employees and empowerment and, uh, I don't know, how much of our life, work-life balance, how much of our life we give to the man, all the right conversations to be having around, like, our drive and what capitalism does on a society, yes. But for the social contract we've signed and often the employment contract we've signed, if we've stepped into a role to do our job, my expectations are dictated by my job description or that agreement as I started that employee employment, I would imagine the CEO is on a similar, has similar expectations, but the jobs are very, very different. 
and I see a lot of rabble about CEOs get paid too much. I think that's right in some contexts, um, but that they get paid more than employees, the intellectual rigor often, the decisions, the crises, the dumpster fires that one makes at the helm of a large organization, it's a different profile than your lay employee, rightfully so. And I would imagine that lay employee doesn't want to do the level of work that the CEO does. Um, I didn't think I'd ever be on this side of this debate, yeah. uh, but here we are. I so look, at this up. point, I feel an obligation to remind people that we are not paid by any entity to do product placement or make any argument. We are the sponsorship that we talked about is joke sponsorship. We make zero, we lose lots of money from this recorded radio. That said, I do just want to say, Andy Owen, CEO of Herman Miller, if you're listening, these CB2 chairs we're sitting on are pretty uncomfortable. And our address is 3108 Sam's Avenue, Richmond, Virginia, 23225. We'll take it. Okay, uh, let's do a couple more things then, let people get back to, um, get you know, back to their thing. Uh, India is, is gonna be the most populous nation in 2023. Yeah. Overtake China, according to the United Nations. And let's just say this, as a country, we rarely talk about India. We don't. No. Nope. No, like, never, almost. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we probably we ought to. Talk about India. It is a massive, massive company. It's incredible. It's actually a country. It operates like company. a company. Country. There we <laughs> it's go. It's very country. entrepreneurial. I'm still on capitalism over here. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, massive country. What's the population of India? So it's it's well over a billion. So all of the countries are a billion. And what's happening is the birth rate in China is slowing. 1.408 billion. Yeah. That's and crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So this debate about uh, who, what's the proper form of English, if we're going to follow democracy, then Indian English is the way we should all be speaking English. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah China's at 1.412 yeah. in 21. And so India is about to pass China. Yeah. Uh, United States, by comparison, 331.9 million. Um, 331.9 million yeah. people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's only 90% too many. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> okay. Uh, hey, can we go back to comfort? Let's do a couple. Actually, but uh, right, so, right before that. Well, why don't um, you be in charge? Well, yeah. uh, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right before that, uh, we've talked about digital payments before. Yeah. And, and uh, I like the, you've contextualized some of the innovations that, kind of move through society, particularly for those who didn't have great infrastructure, and then they kind of leap they jump over the yeah. standard. I'd, I'd love, is there anything to add color to that? I just think it's funny when Americans go, yeah, so there's this amazing thing called like Apple Pay, and you just use your phone, and the rest of the world goes, oh, the thing we've been doing for the past 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, uh, particularly Africa and, and the Indian yeah. subcontinent just jumped digital payments. Yeah, so I was, I was going to head that way, particularly as it pertains to India. They've rolled out digital payments almost wholesale across their pile. I'm talking almost almost a billion and a half people yep. have a digital payment wallet by which to, so even the folks who are panhandling in the middle of the street can hold up a QR code to your window and have their things scanned and you can give them money very easily. And I, I think that is, from an infrastructural standpoint, is absolutely staggering. Whereas, you know, I, I still to this day, I walk into Lowe's and I can't use tap pay to get out of Lowe's. Yeah. And to be clear, I'm in Lowe's a lot for all of the various projects that I can't complete. It's it, like they figured it out. So it's called the Unified Payments inter Interface. Yeah. It has 100 million users uh, per month. Um, 
transactions in real time, day to day, and pretty much every citizen of India has yeah. an, I, an ID yep. that goes with this. Uh, yeah, peer to peer. So it's the greatest digital peer to peer payment system. Next time and anybody a, tells you we can't do that, they're yeah, lying. It's a great. It's yeah. a great example of, of hopping over. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. So let's just get to comfort because we were talking about comfortable chairs. Um, Andy, thirty one oh eight Sam's Avenue. <laughs> These cheap CB two chairs are really uncomfortable. The um, so Air New Zealand is introducing yeah. uh, bunk beds on their planes. So New dips, Zealand is a long way. Top. New Zealand is a long way from anywhere. From everywhere. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Everybody thinks of it being close to Australia. It is not close to Australia. Australia is just the least further away place from everywhere <laughs> that's really far away from New Zealand. Um, so Air New Zealand is it? We'll put this in the newsletter. Is introducing bunk beds. So they're sort of economy type seats, but they're they're layers, and you get four bunks to a plane. And part of me is thinking, like, can't this be every plane everywhere? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about you, because you you essentially do this just sitting up mm-hmm. on planes the second you get on board. Yeah, I um, take a little nappy nap. Yeah, that's a technical term. Yeah, yeah, as a medical professional, that's what I call it. But it but it goes back to this whole sort of reinvention of everything. Yeah, of, I was thinking about those A three eighties, the double deckers. Uh, of yeah. what if what if it wasn't what if it what if it was just rows of bunk beds, almost like on a submarine or ship, a naval ship? Be, yeah, just you got a bunk. Layers, you got yeah. bunks. Yeah. Why does anybody need to set up? And then, and then I think passengers would be d- less difficult. It's hard to be aggressive with your mate <laughs> when you're like, laid down. Can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, I'm, I'm not opposed. I love napping. We'd be maybe better rested as well. Um, I like it. I, any opportunity to sleep is a welcomed one given how difficult I find it to sleep well. Uh, so bunk beds on the way to New Zealand. I think during our, um, can we arrange that during our Singapore run this year? Can we do that when we, when we fly to Singapore? Can we just get bunk beds installed? Can we get a PJ, install bunk beds on them so we can sleep on the way to Singapore? I think we can. Perfect. We'll do that. Andy, <laughs> do you make bunk beds? Okay. Um, I want to go to a place because I, I just did a um, disc assessment yeah. alongside a client we're working with. They're doing an assessment for their team. Um, they brought in another facilitator to do that, but I, I got to take the disc assessment. You do, you're talking in a way that you're saying we, we can't name the client. So does, does the client maybe launch things into orbit? They they think about the their colleagues who launch things into orbit while they solve for the future of society based on the technology that we use to launch things but into orbit. But mainly not touching the ground. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's people. pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. All those right. folks. Um, yeah. So I, I've just been sitting with this disc assessment and it's been a whole thing. I'm not going to go into the disc assessment. Oh, I, I am going to go into, well, you can, when you're in charge, you can do that. It might be right after I finish this segment. Um, no, just understanding ourselves a little different. I, I stumbled across a white paper, as one does, um, as I do. Understanding psychological reactants. Do you know what psychological reactants is? No, but I'm, I'm, I'm presuming it was a paper by Van Blen. It, uh, Tor- Torstubenstein, Van Bleistenstein is his name. Um, no, psychological reactants is the reason when we're told to do a thing, we want to do the complete opposite. By we, I mean you. you. So it's funny, at the abstract it says, why is it that a child sometimes does the opposite of what he's told? Why would a person sometimes dislike receiving a favor? Why is propaganda frequently ineffective in persuading people? And why would the grass in the adjacent pasture ever appear greener? 
The answer is psychological reactance. It's the way that our brain is wired, for some of us more so than others, but when we're told to do a thing, that phrase, I'll do it because I want to, not because you told me to. Um, and so I, I just, as I saw this, I was like, oh, this explains that there that's, is a phenomenon. That's why please walk on the footpath signs, work in parks, but don't walk on the grass signs, don't. Yeah. 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 Because one is an ask and the other is a tell. And it, and it gives it agency to, and autonomy to yeah. ask you to do a thing of oh, your own volition. That do, not, that do not touch sign in uh -huh. a museum. Oh, that's oh. your favorite. Oh. How many things have Scott Wayne fingerprints on them that I mean, very clearly say do not touch them? You know, the, the reason that the British Museum is not giving the Elgin marbles back to Greece <laughs> is because it's got my grubby <laughs> fingerprints all over it and they can't work out how to clean them off. There we go. The, um, so, <laughs> so the university I went to, um, had the um, had rights to the reading room at the British Library, mm -hmm. and in there, and I went one day, and um, it has the the original like paper envelope type thing that John Lennon wrote huh. lyrics to Yesterday on. Really, and my fingers have never tingled <laughs> so much. So, so you too suffer from no psychological. Anyway, so reactions. that's that's your profile. You just reject being told to do something. It's that's not my disc profile. But as I was exploring, we had your career in the army didn't work out. Yeah. yeah. Well, there right. we go. That makes sense. Uh, psychological reactants, folks. That's that's why you don't want to do that. All right. Me. Let's let's bring this to a close with Rupert Murdoch. Oh, let's go to so so News International or the or the holding company Murdoch's holding company. Um, that includes Fox News have settled with Dominion. So this is Dominion, the um, electoral systems, voting mm -hmm. systems, for uh, three quarters of a billion dollars, which was the the lawsuit where Dominion had sued Fox News for knowingly uh, lying in news reports about um, voter fraud, and they've settled. And there's a big debate about whether this is a great lesson for the news media are actually awful in the sense that it's now just the cost of doing business. So you factor in the lawsuits and say, we'll, we'll keep doing this because it generates viewership and you know we'll pay three quarters of a billion dollars occasionally as we go through. And I'm a little torn on this. Mm. And, and, but then also back to this nuance piece is we, we sort of think of, well, okay, this piece of Fox News is, is dreadful reporting and has been, in a sense, proven to be dreadful reporting because yeah. they're, they're choosing not to litigate over it. Yep. At the same time, in the same news reports, is the Wall Street Journal doing everything it can to free its journalist that's, that's been arrested in Russia. Mm -hmm. It's the same company. It's the same, it's the same executives making the same decisions. Ultimately, it's, it's the Murdochs at the top. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And there's probably another leg in that it was settled rather than being fully litigated. Yeah. Um, because, uh, and look, this is Stinson's realm as the former litigator, but there's not a legal decision that starts to play with and around First Amendment. It's it, the fact that it was settled says we have different guidelines. You have to make that conscientious economic decision to take on the risk rather than there being some precedent set if it went to Supreme Court. And I, you know, it, it, on one hand, I would imagine there's a contingent of our country right now that's like, yeah, or even it wasn't enough and we should have stuck it to them harder. On the other hand, and this happens every political cycle as well as we change from one party to another, it's, hey, all of the shortcuts that your party took when they were in office are going to be the same shortcuts that the other party can take when they're in office. And so 
somebody's going to be upset who's on the left side of the aisle when the New York Times eats a lawsuit because, right? And so it's, I don't know that there's a win here, except if we're all saying, yeah, we are pushing ourselves back to some journalistic integrity. That would be the win. And I'm, to your point, I think it's going to be the cost of doing business rather than we should do our job better. the lessons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's finish on this. All right. So Stinson, you said this is more Stinson's area. It is. You know, I opened up this session talking about the very powerful people that listen to this radio show. And, you know, there's a little bit of peacock feathering going on. Sure. But just before I came in here, I was, <laughs> I was on a call with a client, and he's in the car going up the freeway, and I'm giving advice. And at that moment, Stinson's sitting adjacent to me, and she's listening to the call while working on her things. And this encrypted messaging system we work, a message just pops up that says, say this. Mm-hmm. So I said the first thing. I heard you talk. Yeah, yeah. I heard so you I, on this call. So I just read out what she said for me to say. And then the, <laughs> the client replied, and then she sent me another message. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to be honest about this. So I said, hey, you know, Stinson's within earshot. And so I read out, he's, she's messaging me now, this, that, and the other. And then this went on for about three minutes where the client, he's just like, you want to just put me on the phone to Stinson? Anyway, so my, my last question for you is if you're doing something mm-hmm. and that message comes through from Stinson that just says, I advise you not to do this or not to say this. The only time psychological reactance doesn't kick in is when Stinson tells you, me I can or can't do, do a thing. Do you ever not do what she says? No, not in my right mind. No. And also, on as I overheard your call, I could hear that you were not nearly qualified to be saying the things you were saying. I knew Stinson was giving you messages. She was just ear pod in your ear, just feeding you lines. Uh, but no, yeah, Stinson actually makes the rules and I adhere to them, which is not the case in many scenarios elsewhere. So this was this week's Envoy Recorded Radio, produced without a producer. 50% of me hopes that this is recorded well because I really enjoyed this conversation and 50% hopes for me you've got this completely wrong. We'll see. And we'll see you next week on Envoy Recorded Radio. Bye.